Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Romans chapter 2. Yeah. yeah, still there. I think we're about verse 12 is where we're at. And uh, again, we're going to meet this week and then next week, and then we're off a week. All right? Yeah, and then we're already meeting this week, so I assume we're going to meet this week. Yeah, uh, and then we meet next week, and then we're off a week. So the 26th, we won't have class. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's only one service that day, um, but again, we're working out through this section of, of Romans chapter two, where Paul is making the argument against the person who has a knowledge of God. They're more sophisticated than the pagan person, and uh, he says just because you know the law makes it even worse for you because you know what God wants. And um, we also talked about how we play the comparison game. I'm not as bad as that person over there. But when we, God looks at us, he sees all of us as equally lost, equally sinful. And then in verse 12, he continues to make this point. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all, all those who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. The great pride thing that the Israelites, Israel people had, Jews had, was we got the law of God. And because we have the law, that makes us better than the people without the law. And Paul's going to begin to formulate this argument that, well, actually it's good that you have the law because now you know what God wants, but it's really, really bad because now that you know what God wants and you don't do it, it's even worse for you. Yeah. And he basically says, for all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. What does he mean by that? What, what, do, you, what do you think he means when he says the law here? More than that. It's the law of God. What is the law? The psalm, Psalm 119. That, that's, that's the technical name for the first five books. But in the Psalms, when David says, I, I delight to do your will in the book, you know, he talks about the law of God is perfect. The law is pure. The law, what is he talking about? Just the first five books of Moses bagged the rest of it? It's the whole Old Testament. This is not just the first five books of Moses. It includes those. Usually when you, see law, when, when you see law in the Bible, you have to say, okay, what does he mean by that? Does he mean the Decalogue? Because that's, we usually think of it that way, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Or is it the first five books of Moses? Or is it the entire Old Testament? And most of the time when Paul uses the term, he's meaning the whole Old Testament. From the child, you have known the Holy Scriptures to Timothy, what does he mean by that? You just knew the first five books of Moses? No, it's the whole law. It's, it's, it's the whole Old Testament. And Paul is saying here that if you don't have the law, if you're one of those groups of people, and you don't have the written law of God, you're going to perish without the law. What's the operative concept there? You're going to perish. You don't have the law, but you still perish. And then he says, and all have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So if you have the law, the law is going to judge you. If you don't have the law, you still perish. Well, 
verse 13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers. See, Israelites said, the Jews said, we have the law of God, therefore we're okay. Paul says, no, you're not, because you don't do it. You can hear the law all day long, but if you don't do anything about it, does that help you any? No. You can hear the law preached, you can hear God's commandments, and if you don't do anything, that's no help. What did James say? If you, you know, you're like a guy who looks in the mirror. What does he do? He you know, looks in the mirror and he sees everything out of place. And he says, that's all right. And he goes outside and doesn't do anything about it. If you don't, if you don't fix your face while you're looking in the mirror, you're not going to fix it when you leave it. All right. The whole point there is you've got to do it. You've got to act upon it. And Paul is saying here that just because you have the law doesn't help you any. You've got to act upon it. You've got to do something about it. It's not the hearers who are justified. It's the ones who do it that are justified. And then he makes this statement here. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. What's he saying there? This is the, this is the 20,000 foot point Paul is making. Okay? Every human being has a law that they live their life by. Set of principles. Every culture, every person. Okay? Sometimes, if you have the law of God, you've got what God wants, right? But if you don't have that, you still have a law written on your heart. And sometimes that intersects with what God wants, right? Most cultures frown on murder. Does God frown on murder? Yeah, okay? So the point there he's making is that everybody lives by a law, and the fact that you violate whatever law it is that you have makes you what? A sinner. Do you follow what he's trying to get at? Okay, you don't have the law of God, but you have a law written on your hearts. There's, there's a residual right and wrong that you have to live by. Every culture has that. And when you violate that right and wrong, what is that showing you? You're a sinner. You sin. You violate the law. Even if you do not have the actual written law of God, God has written it on your hearts. Has God written his law in a way on our hearts? That's what conscience and the Holy Spirit. That's what conscience is. What is conscience? What's your conscience? The Holy Spirit convicting you. No. No. Some people say his voice. What is your conscience? <laughs> yeah, and how do you? How does that informed? Think of you. Think of your conscience. Think of your conscience as a set of gauges that you have. It's like an airplane. When I get an airplane, I got I got the six pack. I got my altimeter. I got my heading indicator. I got my vertical speed indicator. I got a set of instruments. Okay. And those instruments are only as good as what? The person that reads them? Well, I got to read them, first of all, but what else do I need to have? What do they need to be able to do? Understand them. They need to understand them. What else do they need to do? For the altimeter to be any good to me, what do I need to make sure it knows what? It's accurate. It doesn't do me any good to look at an altimeter if it's not accurate. All right? So one of the things you do before you take off in a plane is you get your local altimeter reading. You set your altimeter so that it's got the correct reading. Because if you don't have the correct reading, you're in trouble. 
your, your conscience is a series of dials in your life, think of. And all it's doing is saying you're off course. You're, not, you're, 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 you're too low. You're too high. You're, relative to whatever you have set those at. Does that make any sense? Whatever they're set at. Now, as a believer, how should we set our instruments? Word of God tells us what it is, right? But if you're an unbeliever, you still have that. Those instruments are still there. Those dials are still there. They might not be set right, but you still have them. And your conscience is telling you you're off. You're not doing something right. There are certain cultures where, you know, what we would consider a sin is perfectly normal to them. All right? Whereas something that we would consider perfectly normal is bad to them. So if they do it, what happens? They're violating their conscience, right? Even though morally it's okay, but they're violating their conscience. That's the whole, that's the whole discussion Paul has in Romans 14 on this doubtful things. Some people say, you know, I, well, I can eat meat offered to idols. It's no big thing. I mean, their idols are dead. You know, it's a good price. I'll, you know, this is a pretty good steak here. I'll eat this. Another person says, I can't eat that. That was offered to an idol. If I do that, I'm participating in the paganism. I can't do that. How can you, how can you eat something like that? You're, that's awful. So what does Paul say? He says, well, if you think it's awful, what should you not do? Don't eat it. If you think it's okay to eat, it's okay to eat it. However, what is the constraining thing there? Don't eat in front of the person who freaks out because you're eating it. You go over to Europe and you, you know, if we went over to Europe, we ordered dinner and we had a glass of wine with our dinner and nobody would think anything of it. Here, you know, oh my gosh, you're drinking alcohol and, you know, Don Ingram is rolling over right now like, oh my gosh, you know, what kind of, well, we got different dials, okay? And all Paul is saying here is that Every human being has built within them a set of dials that when they violate that, it shows, it proves that there is a law out there. And it's the violation of the law that is sin. It may, that, it may not be the actual correct law necessarily, but you are violating your conscience. And so one of the things, you know, you all want to always tell people, don't violate your conscience. Yeah. There is a law out there, you know, and that, and by the way, that's one of the hard things, you know, when you're talking to these uh, evolutionary boys and all that. It's like, where do we get the idea of right and wrong? I mean, Stetson does not know anything's right and wrong unless I tell him it, right? If I say bad dog, he's got an idea, well, I did something wrong. I don't know what that is, but, you know. He doesn't have any, why, what, where do we get that? Where do we get this, this conscience? Where do we get this knowledge of right and wrong? Where does that come from evolutionarily? Evolutionarily, it doesn't come. It doesn't come. That's the point. Yeah. Evolutionarily, if it's survival of the fittest, if I kill somebody that's weaker, what is that? Okay. That's a good thing, right? We've got to get, we gotta get we gotta remove that person from the gene pool, which explains why you got Hitler's mass murder. By the way, do you know where it started? you know where his death camp started? No. Where he began doing them? No. 1930 is way back in the early 30s. Um, I visited one of the places called Hard Time Castle. It's in Linz, his hometown. 
it was a sanitarium for handicapped people. And they started the euthanasia program for severely handicapped people. We got to get them out of the gene pool. They're ruining our human evolution. I'm not making it up. That's the mentality. Survival of the fittest. Eugenics, survival of the fittest. By the way, I don't know if you knew this, but Charles Lindbergh was a big one on eugenics. Um, I forget what the person's name was. At first, Hitler didn't want to do it, but he was talked into it in the early 30s, you know. And then they have this, it's interesting, I saw this old movie, I forget, I forget the name of it offhand, but it was basically a movie, they were really good on these propaganda movies. But it was this, this concert pianist to find out she had MS. And she requested that her husband kill, you know, have her killed because she's going to get progressively worse. And the whole movie is around you know, them doing this mercy killing of this gal that was going to become a burden to society. But see, if you want to go that route, a lot of our moral things are actually bad for the human race, right? Technically. Why do we show pity on the people that are hurt? I mean, technically we should kill them and be done with it because they're, they're obviously weak. We need to get rid of them. Or the old people. We've got to get rid of the old people. They're a drain on society. Get rid of them, you know? If they can't have kids anymore, off with them. That's Get done with that's them. That's what makes our society a democratic, free, enterprise, caring system. Because there's a residual morality. But there are societies where that's being eroded very quickly. You're not having that. You go to Holland, you know, it's, it's, if grandma's in the hospital and she's not going to, you know, be sick and be in bed the rest of her life. Let's just have the doctor give her a shot and put her out of her misery and our misery. We'll be done with it. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Doctor Death, you know. But 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 you know when when the world looks, I say, well that that's a that's a good thing to do. Well, your dial is broken. See, I have an altimeter, but if I set that the wrong height, I'm going to fly into a mountain or a building or a ground. If I got a set wrong, I'm doomed. There's a massive airline crash down in, the Himal down in South America, and they try to figure out, well, what happened to these people? Why did they fly straight into the mountain in the clouds? So straight into the mountain, boom, done. Why did they do that? They found out that when they were getting ready to take off, they didn't wait long enough for the automatic heading and reference system to set itself. You've got to wait so long for this to get its bearing. So when he took off and thought he was flying east, he was actually flying north into the mountain. The dial said north, but he was actually flying uh, east, but he was flying right into the mountain. Why you get the heading wrong. You're not thinking, you're, you're, you're in a hurry to get off, you got a, there's a host of things. Most plane crashes, not all of them, but most of them are because somebody forgot to do something the way they should. Not all of them, but some of them. You set the heading wrong, you don't, you know. <coughs> Yeah, but the, but the whole point here is that Paul is making this argument saying all human beings have a law on their heart. Some of them have the, the actual law of God because God's given it to them so they know what God wants. Others don't have that, but they still have a residual knowledge of God. Look at back in the in book days of Noah, you know, it's, 
Every man did was right in his own eyes. Wickedness filled the earth, you know. And you say, well, wait a minute, you know. Well, they didn't have the law of God, those poor guys. Wait a minute. They could go talk. Most of them could have gone and talked to Adam for a while. Do you, you realize that most of the people that's mentioned there were alive when Adam was alive? Methuselah could have went and talked to Adam when he was a young kid. He was 100 years old, a youngster at 100. He could have gone down and talked to Adam and say, hey, what was it like before the fall? What was it like in the garden? They had the knowledge. See? And, and what Paul is trying to make the point here is that, you know, you guys, if you don't have the law, because that's one of the great questions. Well, wait a minute. Why is God fair to judge people who don't have the law of God? Because Paul is saying they do have a law that they still violate, which shows their sinfulness. Because they violate their law. They violate the rules that they have. Everybody has that. When they don't, when, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature what the law requires. Nature there is the natural thing for them to do. Everybody has a right and wrong. And when you violate that, what are you showing? Your corruption. You're wrong. Yeah. Right. Right. And what we need to do as believers, in a metaphorical sense, is we're flying our little plane along. We got to allow the Holy Spirit to reach over and reset our dials to the correct readings. That's one of the things you do on a cross country. If I'm flying from here to Philadelphia, as I fly along and I talk to ATC, they say local altimeter and they give me a local altimeter reading. Why? Because it might be different there than it is here. Air pressure is different, right? High pressure, low pressure? So if I'm flying from high pressure to a low pressure area, and if I don't adjust my altimeter, I'm flying at the wrong altitude. Does a helicopter pilot have to follow the same instructions? Yeah, so if they go that long ways, yeah. So I'm just, I, I'm just interrupting. I just wonder why, uh, what, was, what was that basketball player's name? Yeah, well, what they did is they, they, yeah, that's one of those things where you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. See, there's two rules in aviation. One, can you do it? Secondly, should you do it? Sometimes you can say, yeah, I can do it, but should I do that? Probably not. He shouldn't have been flying in that kind of weather. You shouldn't have been flying in that kind of weather, all right? In mountains, in fog. No, I, I'm instrument rated, which means I can fly in the clouds. Kennedy was All right, a good but if, if, if we got 200 foot ceilings, mm -hmm. technically I could take off from Lorraine County. Problem is I can't land at Lorraine County because the ceilings are too low. I can't do an instrument landing there. So if I can't land there, what am I gonna do? I gotta go somewhere where I can land. So probably I shouldn't fly that day. Yeah. All right, that's the whole point. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, all right? But anyways, what Paul's trying to get at here is you have a law written on your heart. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, right? They show that. Now, it may be a little muddled up, right? Do most societies have this idea, most societies have an idea, that immorality is bad? Does this go back to Adam and Eve? Yeah. Well, it's just saying that God built into the human being, God built into us, 
a morality, a moral conscience. That was part of what he did. He built that in. Can you show that God's law is not something alien imposed on us from without, but woven into the very fabric of our creation? Yep. Yep. He, that's, that's spot on. It's woven into us. You know, like, like, for example, you go back and look at, um, remember the story of Isaac, Isaac and Rebecca. And, of course, Isaac does a dad move. He goes out of the promised land. He goes down, I forget, I think it's Pharaoh or maybe Pharaoh or, I can't remember if it's Pharaoh or Abimelech. It's one of those. All right, dusty brain recess here. Um, and, of course, Rebecca's a beautiful gal, beautiful lady. And so what does the king want to do? He wants to marry her. Why? Beautiful. No. I mean, that's a factor, but that's not the factor. How did kings expand their power base in those days? It was marriages. What, why did Solomon have so many wives? Because he was a horny guy? No, it's because he's making these marriage alliances. All right, if I, make, if I marry the Pharaoh's daughter, then likely Pharaoh and I aren't going to go to war with each other. That would be a good thing to do. Oh, hey, you do that, you see that throughout history. These alliances, you know. It was a marriage alliance, and that's one of the things that God said, don't go down that route, don't make these marriage alliances, but it was a marriage alliance. So he's going to make this marriage alliance with Rebecca because Isaac is very powerful, very wealthy guy, you know. He could be a threat to me. So I'll tell you what, if I marry his, his sister or whatever, then he probably is not going to go to war with me. That's what it was. Well, he said Rebecca was his sister. All right. Remember what Abraham did. Abraham said Sarah was his sister. Now, technically, she was. She was his half-sister. I don't know if he knew that. Technically, she was his half-sister. But she was his wife. Now, when Abimelech and Pharaoh found out that they were, that's not what happened, how did they respond? They said, we can't marry because she's already married. Follow? These are pagan guys, and at least they had an idea. Wait a minute. She's already married. I can't marry her because she's already married. All right. Even they, back then, they had what? Conscience. A conscience and a morality. You can't marry a married woman. Even the pagans got that right. Okay? It takes education to get that wrong. All right? But the point is, and all I'm trying to do is bring that illustration up, is that Ancient people had right and wrong. They had a knowledge, a residual knowledge of morals, a family, of doing what is right. There is something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no, right and wrong. That's, that's well put. There's something deep inside everybody. You know, so when you get somebody who says, well, I'm a free thinker, I do what I want, even they have a residual right and wrong. They have a right and a wrong. And all Paul is saying is that the fact that you are built in with a, you have a built-in right and wrong meter that you violate tells you what about you? You're a sinner. You violate your right and wrong meter all the time. Oh, you may not have the one that God gave you, but you have one in you that you violate. And you're going to be judged as though 
when God stands before judgment, God's not going to say, well, you know, you violated my law. And you might say, well, what law did I violate? God said, well, you didn't have that one, but you did have a law on your heart that you violated all the time. That's enough to condemn you. You follow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they turn it into something else. My truth or my right or something other. Well, just look at the view. That'll, that'll help you figure that one out right there. Just look at what? The view. Or any of those kind of. I mean, that's just a good example of what, one of them, but there's, well, there's a lot more than just that. But what is it? Well, you know, what is it with truth to you? What do you think? You know, okay, it's your, see, that's what we've done. We've, we redefine sin that it's not sin. See, it's a mistake. By, at, at the core of your being, you're a good person. If, you're either good or at least you're neutral. That's, that's most behind almost everybody today. You ask them, are you basically a good person? Yes. Nobody says, yeah, I'm, I'm a rotten, dirty, I'm an awful person. Nobody says that. Right? Even though they, even, well, I was say, even though they are, even though they are, they won't. They won't admit it. They say, "I'm a good person at heart." I'm a good person at heart. Okay, I, I made a couple of mistakes. Maybe I should turn left and not right, or whatever. But basically, I'm a good person. I'm not bad. I'm okay. I'm better than that other guy over there. I mean, come on. You know, I'm not all that bad. Everybody that, and I hate to say that's behind most modern psychological theories that. At least you're good, or if not good, you're neutral. You're not evil. You're not sinful. You're not wicked. You're not depraved. You've made a mistake. You know, if you had a better environment, you had a better upbringing or something, it would have been better for you. If you, eat, you just had to eat that hostess Twinkie to give you, get you upset so you got the Twinkie defense over in California, you know, where you got the Twinkie defense. And, you know, okay, you burned yourself with a hot coffee. Well, it's their fault it was so hot. Well, wait a minute. The, if I buy hot coffee, what do I want it to be? Hot. Well, it's their fault it was too hot. It's crazy stuff, see? And so what we got today is we've got a lot of people that say, it's not my fault. I'm not, I'm not, and Paul, and I'm not hurting anybody. And Paul is saying, listen, you have a residual knowledge of God in your heart. You have a moral compass inside you. It may be all messed up. It may have some wrong readings, but you still got it. And when you violate that, that shows your corruption. That shows your wickedness. And God's going to judge you on the basis of that. See? And that's the thing about understanding about God. God's judgment is perfectly just. Why is it that there's a great white throne judgment? Because God wants to prove to the universe that everybody gets exactly what they deserve. No more, no less. He's not harder on that person than this person. He is not a respecter of persons. God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. He causes it just, and, and God basically says, if you've got the law and you violate it, it's actually worse for you because you know what you should do. Right. You didn't know it, but you're still guilty because you violated your conscience. It won't be as bad for you, judgment-wise, as for that person. You're both in trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole idea, woe to you, Korah, and Bethsaida. It's going to be worse for you. It's going to be better to be a Ninevite than you guys. In fact, he says, it would have been better to have been a Sodomite than you guys. Now, what, what do we know about Sodom? Do we know, nobody even knows where it is. 
We know the general area, but it's, it's gone. God wiped that thing out. And God says, you know, it'd be better to be a sodomite than it would be for you guys because you have God incarnate with you. You've seen the light and you've rejected it. You'd be, you'd be better off to be one of them condemned than you guys. God's not, God, and that's the thing that people don't understand. Well, you know, I'll talk God out of it. You know, I'll, I'll make my case. No, you won't make your case. When you stand before God, you're not going to have a defense. See, you can't defend yourself before God, right? What do you need? I need somebody to defend me. You know, I can stand before God on my own, and God says, you're toast, buddy. And Christ comes along and says, I paid his penalty. Case dismissed. Case dismissed. And I'll never get... The more you think about that, the more of a wonder it is. I stand condemned. I don't deserve forgiveness or love. And Christ comes along and said, Father, I paid the debt. And Christ says, God says, case dismissed. And later on, he's going to make the case in Romans 8. Who is the highest court in the universe? God. There is no higher court. Can Jesus be considered a prosecutor or a defense attorney? He's a defense attorney. He's a defense attorney. He wins all his cases. Yeah. And here's the point. If you sin without knowing what you're doing, God takes that into account. But if you sin knowing full well what you're doing, that's a different story entirely. Merely hearing God's law is a waste of your time if you don't do what he commands. Doing, not hearing, is what makes the difference with God. Yeah. It just amazes me that when I stand before God, I've been acquitted. Yeah. Christ paid the penalty. Yeah. You know, and there's no higher court. That, you know, somebody can, you know, Paul says, um, who's going to lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Well, God justified him, so God's not going to do it, right? God the Father's not going to do it. He's the one that declared you righteous. How about Jesus? Well, no, Jesus died for you. He ain't going to happen. That's the two highest beings in the universe. How about angels? Nope, they're not going to do it. They're not going to happen. How about the devils? Nope, that ain't going to work. How about, no, height, depth, things present, things to come? Nothing's going to be able to make a charge that will stick. Because God's the highest court in the universe. And he said, case dismissed. There is no court of appeals. There's no higher court than God. Paul's saying, and we've been reading out of the message, if you have the law, you're judged. If you don't have the law, you show by doing a right and wrong that there is a law in you that you are responsible for. They said, it says, verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. What's the conflicting thoughts? From their conscience. They're doing the wrong thing. They know they're doing the wrong thing. And they're violating it. It may not be, the dial may not be exact, said exactly right, but they know that there's a right and a wrong. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Now that is a scary statement. 
See, we look around today, we see court cases and we say, why did that person get off or why was that person condemned? And a lot of times we can look at cases and we can see how, did OJ, OJ got off? Did he kill Nicole? Yeah. Probably he did. In fact, I put a dollar on it <laughs> that he did. He got off. But did he? An eternal grand scheme of things that he get off. That's different, that's different, but, but we're saying if he, if he doesn't, what's going to happen someday? If he, if, he, if he believed in Christ, yeah. Our, that's the nice thing about it. When, when God pulls the, you know, our multi-volume set of all of our sins off the heaven's shelf, all my pages are blank. And why are my pages blank? Because the blood of Christ erased the pages. But if you don't have the blood of Christ erasing your pages, what happens? It's all there. It is all there. And, and every thought, every action, every deed is going to be exposed for all the universe to see. And why? Because God wants every being in the universe to understand that condemnation is a just condemnation. You get what you deserve. No more and no less. And it says the secrets of men's hearts will be revealed. What is the secrets? The motivations. Mm -hmm. See, I can look at somebody and say that person did a wrong thing, but I can't tell you why they did it. See? Well, that's what the law tries to do. Well, we try to do that. You know? So you've got psychological theories that say, well, the reason they did that is because of this. You don't know that necessarily. No. You know? I mean, you may have empirical data on things, and I'm okay with that, but... You can't, I don't know why people do, I don't know why I do things. If I don't know why I'm doing something, am I going to figure out why you're doing something? Probably not. I don't know why. And I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know what motivates you. I don't know why you do certain things. God does. God has the goods. And when those books are open, there is no defense. There is no defense. See, today we have a defense, right? Well, you know, it's the hostess Twinkie that did it. It's uh, my bad upbringing. It was, you know, that person's fault, that person's fault, this person, that person. No. What's God say? Your fault. See, we like to shift blame. David, why'd you commit adultery with Bathsheba? Well, why does she have to be on the, on the roof naked? Well, why did you have to be up there? It's your fault. No, it's her fault. No, it's your fault, David. And until he said, against thee and thee only have I sinned, what happened? He didn't get the forgiveness of God, did he? By the way, this is an important thing. When you ask God's forgiveness, don't make an excuse. God doesn't need your excuses. He really doesn't. He gets irritated with those. When you, say, when you do something, say, God, it's my fault. I did it. I make no excuse. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. <laughs> In fact, the Greek word for confess is homo legeo. What's homo mean? Same. same. Legeo to say. When you're confessing your sins to God, you're saying the same thing about your sins that God says about them. You're not making an excuse to say the same thing as. You know, it's not like God, you know, forgive me for getting mad at that lady, but you know, she, she pulled out in front of me and she shouldn't have done that. No, 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 no. You got mad. Has nothing to do with what she did. 
right? In defense of my profession, and I know that we are different. Um, We're closer than you think. We are closer. I know that, and that's why I keep mm -hmm. showing up. Um, <laughs> Actually, I need you. I do. Balance for each other. But in defense, there are situations in life that strongly impact humans. Oh, absolutely. That cause them to lean more in one direction, healthy yeah. or unhealthy direction, mm -hmm. based upon the foundation on which their lives are built. Yeah. And so it's not necessary. I. I I listen because we need each other, we understand each mm. other, we get each other, but I guess I have to just speak up when it's not like, I mean. <sighs> we, we agree, I, I tell you how we agree. Okay. We both agree in this. Yeah. I agree that there are environmental factors that cause yes. people to be, I agree with that. I'm 100% I'm on okay. board with that. Okay. I'm 100% board on, I'm 100% I'm board on you know, when people say, if you grow up in this kind of family, it's possible that you exhibit these kind of behaviors. That's, that's Solomon's observations of life business. I'm okay with that. Okay. Where I draw the line is when you try to start looking at the individual motivations and reasons for doing it. You don't know that. Okay. That's where I, I, I stop. And I also stop by saying that doesn't excuse their behavior. Okay, I understand why they do it, yeah. but what we do is, most modern psychology say we excuse the behavior based on this. No, you can't excuse behavior. You still make choices. So we're, we're, we're not, I don't think we disagree on that. We don't. I, I, think, we're, well, I think we're an awful lot closer than... Well, if you go into a court of law and you plead insane, you have to be able to say that that person did not know where it's going. Right. A lot of people that have to abused and grown up in, a, in terrible conditions and violent homes that, and they end up being very violent people themselves. But did they know that they were doing right or wrong? And God takes all of that. Yeah, but see, but see what happens is God takes all that into consideration. He'll sort it all out. I can't. Okay? Where I have difficulties when you try to explain people's behavior like you, it, Psychology is not a science in the sense that it's repeatable. Mm -hmm. You know, I was telling somebody the other day, you know, if I take a certain amount of, of charcoal and sulfur and potassium nitrate, mix it together, it blows up. It's called gunpowder. Mm -hmm. It happens all the time, okay? But I can take people that are in the same situation, the same life situation from the same parents. One of them becomes a CEO of a company. The other is a criminal. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. All right, so, so it's empirical, yes. Solomon did that, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, the Bible even says that God's going to visit the sins of the fathers under the children of the third and fourth generation. Yes. What's he mean by that? It doesn't mean that those kids are responsible for what granddaddy did, but if granddaddy had a very bad environment, it takes a while to sort that thing out, yeah. right? Because kids are brought up in an environment. Okay, that's what it's saying. So I'm okay. I'm, I agree with all of that. Okay. We're, we're on the same page on that. Okay, where I draw the line is we use that today to excuse behavior. Okay, you can't go there. Or to, to exonerate people. You can't do that, it's still wrong. You may, not, you may be a psychopath and have no conscience and think nothing of shooting people, but that doesn't make it right. 
all right? We understand. That doesn't make it right. God's going to sort all of that out. So we're, we really don't agree, disagree, Sammy. I don't think there's a lot, whole lot of daylight between our positions. You know? Yeah. That's why you keep showing up. And, and, and I need, you know, she's, I need that because you can sound like you're saying one thing when you're really not. That's not at all, you know, yeah, that, that's Solomon had, I mean, he, he, he was an observer of life, right? If you see people growing up in a particular environment, generally you can make some general observations that, you know, they tend to have these behaviors. That's just observation of life. Yeah. Let's say you're at a family reunion, you're adults, you're sitting around talking about this, that from childhood. One of you has a pleasant memory of X, the mm -hmm. other one a negative memory of X, and it's the same X. But the reason we are raised individually in a home that is the dynamic between your parents and you, that's the home. And leader. your personality. Temperament, personality, the whole yeah. thing. And it, it makes a big difference between my memory of childhood mm -hmm. versus my brother's memory of childhood. Yeah. You take my three <coughs> my two brothers. You put all of us in first of all, if you put us in a police lineup, you couldn't pick us out because we're so different. All right. But we all turned out completely different. Yeah. Same parents, same home, went to the same church. We're all three different. Right. Right? That's all part of this. But what we need to make sure of is when we go back to the Word of God, what God is saying is, here's the other thing, we'll, we'll stop with this. If, if, if you get in a car accident, let's say you get in a bad car accident, you're really mangled, you go to the ER. You know, the doctor says, yeah, you're in a real mess. By the way, we have these counselors come in. We're going to try to figure out how you got into the mess you're in. What are they going to do? Are they going to do that? What are they going to do? They're going to fix you, right? They're not going to sit and say, well, why did you, you know, why were you in that car? What made you go to that? Why did you have to go that trip today? What do you do? You know, did, were you going too fast? They're not, they're not even go there, right? What are they going to do? we got to fix your broken bone. All right? It's not where, how did you get to where you're at? It's what do we do from here forward? Okay? That's the way it is with God. We all bring when we come to Christ, we all bring a mess from our background, from our upbringing, from factors, from environment, from whatever. We bring all of that, and God's not saying, we've got to sort all that out before we can go on. No, what does God do? He takes us forward. How we got there is not as relevant as what are you going to do going forward? Because we can sit there till the cows come home and figure out why we do certain things and why did we... That's a dead-end street. Christ, God, what did Paul say? Forgetting what is behind, I reach what? Forward. We all, we all, God doesn't care how, how you got to the mess you're in as much as he cares about what are you going to do now? How are we going to go forward? And the way you go forward is you acknowledge your mess. You take, a, you take responsibility for your sin. And God says, now we can, we can move forward here. But... Why do we witness to people and tell them about 
place because now now they have, are guilty because they don't they know more. But this scripture shows they're still going to be judged because they have knowledge, others' knowledge. Maybe not yeah. the scripture itself, but they still have knowledge. Yep. So, uh, by witnessing them, we give them a way to be forgiven for all right. their sins no matter how, no matter where they are. So, yeah. Now, is there value in probably understanding, you know, where you got yourself into the mess you're in so you don't repeat it? Yeah, there's value in that. That's okay. But you can't live there. Because the point of it is to ultimately get them moving. Right. And utilizing biblically-based counsel. Right. Yeah, right. But you can't spend all your time... Right. And that, there, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not... I'm not saying we forget the past in the sense that we forget where... But, but the solution to our sin is not to live in the past and try to diagnose and analyze why, we, why we're the sinner we are. We're a sinner. What's the solution? Forgiveness. Salvation. And then the process of sanctification begins. And maybe as part of that sanctifying process, we say, yeah, I see why I did that. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay. But so we're saying the same thing. You know, it's, it's why we go forward. And, and what I see happen a lot of days is, to, times today is when you talk to people about their sin, they want to spend, well, why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? Why did I do this? Why? That, that's one of the struggle with one of my family members who just, wants to live in a past event. And it's like, but what are you doing now? Well, yeah, but, you know, 50 years ago, and you keep going back to that, you can't, they, you can't break them loose of that. And that's a chain that you just, that just holds you back. So, but the point here is Paul is saying, listen, all of us have an inbuilt conscience, a knowledge of right and wrong. We know what we should do, and when we don't do that, we become guilty. Whether you have the law of God or not, you violate a law on your heart, which shows that there is a law out there. Next week, he's going to turn to the Jew and say, you guys are even in more trouble than they are because you've got the law. Father, thanks for this day and for teaching us. And um, Father, help us to ponder these truths and also realize that you'll forgive us for all of our sin, but none of our excuses. And uh, we don't want to make excuses. We want to acknowledge our sin, that we are sinners and that you have the forgiveness there to make us whole again. The thing that blows my mind, Father, is someday when I stand in your presence, I won't have sin. I won't be able to sin because my advocate will say, I've covered it. And you're going to say, acquitted. Thank you for that. Thank you for this day and for this time of study and for the salvation we have in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.